0: everyone and welcome to The Constant Cheerleader, the podcast that champions the people who go above and beyond to make a difference in the world and their communities over a cuppa. My name is Gemma Stevenson and joining me today is a woman whose passion for dance knows no limits. Throughout her career so far she's championed inclusivity in the dance world as well as being involved in various projects around mental health and the arts. The artistic director of Dash.dance has even produced her own socially distant dance film called Are We Floating or Falling? During Lockdown. Here to give us 30 minutes of her best mat talk this week is Vicky Buzzfield. Hi Vicky, how are you today? Hello, I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, how's life? I mean, whereabouts in the country are you? Are you in tier one, tier two or tier three, I feel I should ask. So
1: i am in london i am in east london and so
0: therefore it means
1: we are moving up to tier two tomorrow so today is friday so tomorrow by the time this airs we'll be in tier two
0: and uh first most important question i have to ask you on this podcast is um this podcast is done over a cuppa so what cuppa are you joining us with this evening
1: well, I have a um, a green tea with lemon, uh, just, you know, trying to, I have a lot of kind of typical tea, normal tea, regular tea during the day, and then I kind of have to try and move away from that as the day goes on, so that I'm not having too many cups, otherwise I have been known to have quite a few, um, and I have a very special mug that there's B U to as in U Y O U. Um it's a very lovely mark. And it was actually given to me by one of my close friends, Maya Leek. So uh, yeah, she bought it for me. She was like, just a little, just a little pick me up for you. So lovely mm. cup. I mean great choice, yeah. It's just it's rather nice. She's just like, you know, you just
0: need that every now and then, you know.
1: <laughs> to give yourself a little reminder.
0: So what actually happens if you drink too many cups of tea? Um,
1: I mean I normally have like at least three, probably two three cups of tea just in the morning just to get me started. It's like I need that to get me started and um, then but if I have too many, it's just I mean I don't sleep very well. I have to be honest, I'm not a good not a good sleeper <laughs> um, so uh, if it, if I have too many I mean it's just gonna add to the whole not being able to get to sleep. so I don't know if it improves my productivity. <laughs> I wouldn't no, I wouldn't say that. I think it just uh, reduces my ability to sleep.
0: I mean, the amount of stuff you do though Vicky. I mean I I'm surprised you actually have time to sleep. I mean, if anyone that
1: knows me knows that um there's a bit of a disclosure that I am horrendous in the morning. Like I am the worst morning person ever. So I tend to be more productive later on in the day anyway but yeah it is one of those where i just kind of keep going there's an awful lot somebody said to me oh you very much have a portfolio career and i'm like okay yes one of those who have basically just got my hand in multiple things, multiple organisations, just lots of different types of things happening. And they all seem to happen at the same time as well. So
0: First thing I want to talk about is this film that you did during lockdown, you know, as you do, you know, that's just something you generally do during lockdown. Just produce a dance film. Yeah, I mean, the reason it came about
1: is... um, so last year I was involved in Wardenstow Garden Party, which so for those people that don't know, Wardenstow Garden Party is essentially it's a mini festival. So Garden Party makes it sound very swanky, but it is actually just it's a it's a music, arts, and cultural festival um, in Wardenstow, and I'm uh, live in Warden Forest, Borough. So I got involved with it last year, and then this year they'd actually asked me to be uh, be involved in it again. And I was like, I was really up for that. And so it was really great. And then obviously when um, pandemic came along, things had to really change and really shift. So they gave us the option. Um, so the Walthamstow Garden Party is run predominantly by the Barbican. And um, we actually had quite a few conversations around, you know, what could be done? How could it be changed? What could be offered instead? And for some people, They kind of, maybe it was a bit too much for them to really try and adapt to what was going on. But I decided that I wanted to use that opportunity to... work with some really great um artists. Um and I, I just kind of felt like it was an opportunity that I didn't want to miss. Uh it, it ended up taking a little bit longer and a little bit more time than I had anticipated. I'm really grateful actually I got a lot of support um from the people that I was working with and also my partner as well. So um I have to have to be honest that I'd you know I did get a lot of support but it was it was quite a a full-on project but the end result I mean I was really happy with the film um and really kind of pleased with the way it came out and so it meant that we were part of the part of that whole event and that happened across the weekend so that was yeah that was back in July now which feels like an age ago
0: yeah but but you also with the festival made it interactive as well um and it got people who were watching involved in it as well
1: yeah exactly there's um there was that opportunity for um, so we had the kind of the main film with the professional dancers so Maya Leek was in the film and also Shine Perry and um, so that we had the two of them and then I had um, a. A piece of music composed, so um, an original piece of music, which I was really lucky to have, uh, um, by Bobby Demers, and um, and then the whole thing was uh, filmed by Floyd Condé and so um, so we had that main film. The inspiration from it was sycamore seeds. So these helicopter seeds, obviously the dancers developed it in quite a intricate and detailed way, but I wanted to make sure that people that were watching it also could take part as well and knew that they could develop it and they could be creative in, in a, in a, I guess, a simpler way, but also a really fun way. They could kind of get involved. So that's why we also had four uh, mini films as well. So we actually ended up creating five films. And um, so we had four mini films. And there were four of us that um, myself... Uh, Maya, Shine and then um, dance assistant that I work with Jasmine Hall and the four of us we we did a film each about the different elements of the sycamore seeds so it just meant that we could kind of say to people look you could try out getting creative, moving Uh, it was just sort of that introduction into look this is how we started the process but also looking at the finished film, the main film are we floating or falling? It was like that's where it could be taken to you know that those ideas could actually then develop into something a lot more complex it was a really kind of great process and i, I really actually thinking about it now gosh because so much has even happened since then i can't believe that was only july there was literally a few months ago that it premiered but it feels yeah it's crazy
0: that's really. the thing about these times though isn't it like two months ago feels like two years ago or two lifetimes ago
1: oh yeah for sure it's very very strange to think that it feels in one way it feels like it wasn't that long ago that i that it was kind of march february march i was still in the dance studio and then on so on one hand it's like no that can't have been that long ago but then on the other hand it's like no that feels like an absolute age ago that i was doing that so It's a very surreal time for me at the moment, as I'm sure it is for many
0: people. (laughs) One thing about the piece as well is kind of had your stamp on it. It was kind of a a Vicky piece because not only was it you were being creative and trying to find ways around dealing with the lockdown situation and the the kind of restrictions that you had, but it was also very much along the lines of your uh, feelings about inclusivity in dance. Did this new way of producing the work um, were there any specific challenges that came with that? Yeah,
1: I mean, my my work very much centers around inclusive and accessible um, dance. So um, regardless of kind of what I'm doing, whether I'm teaching, whatever, whoever that might be, children, adults, old people, it's kind of that is within my practice anyway, and so I already, you know, I have a relationship, and I've worked with Shine, and I um, we, I produced um, a, a piece with him last year at the Liberty Festival. So, um, and I've worked with Maya as well before, so I already had a relationship with them, which was really great. And I guess in some ways that helped to make the process a little bit easier because they knew me and I knew them. Um, but it was. It was incredibly challenging. There's no getting around it. It was very challenging. So Maya, when we began the process, um, which was several months before, um, so we started in May, and when we began the process, Maya had already begun experimenting with filming herself dancing for her own work. Um, So she had already had a little bit of a kind of practice, I guess, in that area. But for Shine, it was an incredibly new thing for him. So... With him being at home, he also had his children at home and his wife at home. So he had three little children running around. So he hadn't actually even explored or thought, really. I don't think it had really come into his mind about dancing at home and certainly not kind of filming himself at home. It was something that he just sort of wasn't doing. So when I approached him and said, look, I want to do this, he it was, it was a whole process that we kind of went through and them it was quite a lengthy process of them filming themselves then sending it to me me watching it spending quite a bit of time watching it going okay i like that but that need we need to work on that or that camera angle does not work like that's really not an attractive camera angle let's change that one um so uh, things like i bought them these uh tripods but they're the the i don't know if you've seen them the tripods that have like the really bendy legs yes i've seen them yeah yeah so it's like you can wrap them around things yeah so these tripods they could wrap them around um like the banisters or a leg of a chair or things like that and so then we worked out the different camera angles and the different places in their inside and outside of their homes that they would film that was just a, that was really difficult basically it was a, re, a really kind of difficult process because it was very time consuming for them and for me so they were having to film they were having to be you know create these films and develop their own dance work and I was having to then feedback. one point I ended up I filmed myself so I filmed myself giving them some like feedback through film through me moving and me dancing as well um because obviously when we're dancing it is it's a you know it's a visual thing it's the the body it's the body moving so me texting or even telling them verbally what it was was quite difficult so me actually physically doing it and going okay when you do this could you do could you try doing this and I think that that really helped um but yeah it was a certainly a whole new experience for all of us
0: yeah, because dance is quite, it's a, its its one of those arts areas where actually you are genuinely really close to each other and experimenting, and it's how each individual's body moves, which you don't necessarily get on film, do you, in the rehearsal process?
1: That is definitely something that when you're looking at a screen and you're watching through a screen, so through something that's 2D, and you're doing something that is 3D, it's quite difficult thing to to navigate and yeah I mean dance you just when you're dancing it's all about that connection it's all about that uh you know the feeling of when you're moving and how it feels to be responding and relating to somebody else in the space and I think it's just highlighted certainly I know from all of my colleagues and everybody else that I'm kind of that I work with that that is the one thing that everybody is certainly missing that that can human connection
0: is to move on to a more like serious topics now with regards to the arts. I mean, it is a strange time for the arts and anything creative, isn't it? But it's also scary. You know, do you feel as somebody who works in that industry that you've been left behind by this pandemic that actually people have forgotten the value of the arts really and the value of performance? Yeah, I mean, I
1: feel that... It's something that has been at times unsaid pre-pandemic and I feel it's just been kind of brought to the forefront during this time. So, uh, you know, you do hear it. I've heard it growing up, training, all of that, even from kind of my, I remember going to at 16, um, my school counsellor, you know, when you would talk to them about what, job or what uh, a levels or career you were going to go into you into and you would talk to them about it and they would say oh try this or try that i even remember back then being really strongly told not to go to um to a dance institute so i, I mean i left home at 16 and went to a ballet school and um and honestly, my teachers and the, the school, they were just really against it because they they didn't really think it was a worthwhile or a viable or a valid career route. And so I think it's something that I've definitely seen throughout my entire life. Um, and I know people that I've spoken to and, and encountered and have, have made some really kind of crass and... Um, some really kind of quite harsh comments and judgments around the cultural sector and actually i feel like now that has definitely come at come to the forefront with particularly recently obviously there was the uh, fatima um a post yes. that was uh going around uh the picture of fatima guess it you shouldn't you know getting another job
0: going to cyber know, but yeah. what is cyber what is cyber and what cyber
1: <laughs> like, what are you talking about <laughs> uh which is just like horrendous on all levels it's just uh it's incredibly narrow-minded incredibly narrow-minded and Um, it is really hurtful actually to be in the arts and knowing that there are people out there in uh, positions, uh, senior positions that are kind of thinking these things that are allowing that sort of information and those sort of messages to go out there. And it's really, really shocking actually because I, I mean, I just don't understand how people can't see the arts and culture is embedded in everyday life it's everything it's just in everything and I mean I'm talking to you like yeah you know preaching preaching to the wrong person but (laughs) you know uh, it's it is that thing where you it you kind of you're in a bit of shock. People don't realise that the things that they watch, that they read, that the objects around them that are designed by people, the you know that everything and anything that is around them essentially has some level of artistic input. And I th- I think there's something around people being, like I said, narrow-minded in this terms of, in the term of seeing the arts as just somebody standing on stage and performing and you know that it being kind of just the west end or theatres or that sort of side of things and obviously the arts is a huge sector and it's much much bigger than that that part of it is incredibly valid and worthwhile and it I mean it's something that during um during world war it was it was something that kind of brought people together and even back then you know it was something that's very much noted and um going back historically you know dance in particular dance and music in communities um was the thing that brought people together whether that be through um weddings or ceremonies of any sort of type so it's just yeah it just really amazes me that it is still seen as this lesser thing. And we need to do something about it, that's for sure. We need to kind of somehow, somewhere along the line, make people realise, and I think the government really need to step up and do that. So if the government aren't backing cultural sector then how is anybody else going to kind of do that it needs to come from both sides so it needs to come from those people working in the cultural sector and essentially they're already doing it because they're you know they're they're the ones living those lives and having those jobs and really fighting to kind of keep them and so it needs to come from the top as well
0: so go on then tomorrow morning london's in tier two lockdown and all of a sudden you are the Prime Minister of the UK, Vicky. <laughs> uh, what would you suggest needs to be done to save the arts and not have it disappear? Yeah, I mean,
1: that's a loaded question,
0: Jenna. <laughs> Thank you for that one. Uh, um,
1: I think, so there are the employment schemes, the self-employment scheme and the furlough scheme. Yes, they are, were great. And very much needed and I know for one that um, I also work at Trinity Laban and I was fortunately furloughed from them because I couldn't teach anymore um, so incredibly grateful it was an absolute lifeline however I'm also because I have a multitude as we discussed I have a portfolio career multitude of jobs I'm also self-employed I am one of those people that fell through the cracks and was not eligible for self-employed support because it had this 50%, uh, 50% thing, you know, where you had to earn more than 50% for self-employed. And I think that really, I know of many people that that really hit hard. The arts and the cultural sector in general, there is a high proportion of people that are self-employed, that are freelancers, but also have these multiple careers where they're doing all of these different things. And I think that was a real kind of kick up the backside, just like, you know, sorry, but that's it. That's all you're getting. You're not worth any more than that. Oh, well, tough. Like, it, that's that's genuinely how it felt. It was just, like, tough. There's nothing we can do. We're not going to – no, there's nothing we're going to do about it. Yeah. You know? It's a choice. There's, there's nothing. And obviously now they've redu- uh, reduced the amount that, for those people who are self-employed, they've reduced the amount of money that they can get. And it is shocking to think that people who are employed on the new furlough scheme can get – uh, and I don't quote me on this. I don't know the exact figures, <laughs> but um, it, without a doubt, the people on the the furloughs, uh, employed scheme, if you're an employee, I think it's roughly around sixty-seven or seventy percent, something
0: like yeah. that. Yeah, I believe. I think it's sixty-six, isn't it? Is it two thirds? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. But if you're
1: self-employed, uh-uh, no, it's not two thirds. It is not two thirds, it is far less than that. And again, I can't remember the exact figures, but I know without a doubt, it is less than that, that they are not going to give people as much. And that is a huge issue because like I said, in the arts, there are so many of us that are self-employed and freelance. And that is really, really, really kind of disheartening. So I think that is one major thing that could be improved to acknowledge the fact that people have these portfolio careers, acknowledge the fact that people who are self-employed are just as valid as those people that are employees. Um, And I think also putting in place, again, there's this whole, there's a sense of tension because we never quite know at what point lockdown could increase and therefore our work could be gone again not that it's all come back but the work that has been able to kind of restart at what point is that just going to disappear there is absolutely zero security there is no security at all and that is something whereby yes obviously the arts council uh, released the first round of um, funding that has gone out to those, what is it, over 1300 organisations. And those are the organisations that could prove that they were losing income and, but there were those people that, like myself, I will say, I was, I had already applied for more funding. Um, however, that funding round got cancelled. So. There's nothing for those people that are in that position where, well, I hadn't actually received the funding, so therefore I'm not eligible for anything because I haven't in effect lost anything, but I have lost something because that funding that I applied for just disappeared. It's like was completely cancelled and it was just like, no, sorry, that's it. So there's a real, there are these groups of people that are in, in that kind of middle position where they they're just not eligible essentially they're not eligible and it's almost like oh you're it's not bad enough it's not bad enough and and that is really a harsh and a really scary way to be living your life in terms of okay right how long can i survive how long can i genuinely survive if i lose my work and it's like i know that i've worked damn hard to make sure that i have 3 months of money to survive to be able to pay my rent my bills and some food and it's like i've worked really hard to save up that money and make sure i've got that but i don't i also think it's like well, i shouldn't have to the government should be doing more to make sure that our careers are secure that are the prospects are secure and i think that also goes hand in hand with acknowledging and actually pushing for greater acceptance and just yeah that acknowledgement of the, the, the fact that the arts are viable the arts are worthwhile it is there everything they do from the I mean come on they're designing all of these signs that they're putting up everywhere to tell people it's like who, who do you think does that who do you think who do you think does that somebody in accounting no I'm sorry <laughs> but a design person does that and they are in the arts it's like the suit that you are wearing rather scruffily but the suit that you (laughs) are wearing was created by somebody in fashion that is in the art sector it's like they just need to start to actually show some passion and real kind of desire to see the art succeed I also think we in the arts do ourselves a disservice I think there's something about that as well in that we don't necessarily always ask for enough in terms of valuing our services you know uh, I could you know could could never imagine a, a lawyer or a I don't know, you know, some consultant somewhere going, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. I'll just do a couple of extra hours work and not get paid for it. You know, they will bill you every single minute. You know, you know what it's like? They yeah. like 15 <laughs> minutes. There you go. That's another £100. Thank you very much. It's like it just doesn't happen in the art sector. So I think we also need to really value what we do. And I think I'm also talking to myself when I say that. so we need to value it but also this is where kind of the government and dcms need to do more i feel um to actually kind of push forward that agenda in terms of seeing that we are a very valid group of
0: society this next bit i'm going to turn you into a bit of a cheerleader vicky Uh, you've given all all of us who are listening some great advice anyway up to this point but um there's two bits of cheerleading skill i need you to show before we end this podcast so the first thing is the cultural exchange and it's when um teams from all around the world get together and they share elements of their own culture with Mm -hmm. teams from other cultures so this is your chance vicky to give us a little bit of a cultural exchange to keep us going for the rest of this week? So, um, yeah, I was thinking about this and kind of thinking about
1: the the kind of things that I would want to sort of share. Um, and I think for me, there's there are certain things that I turn to, particularly during the pandemic, I have to say, that have really helped and boosted me and my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That is, there's a particular podcast actually that I do listen to. (laughs) Um, And it might seem a little bit random. So, uh, my sister introduced this to me, and uh, it's called My Favourite Murder. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah I know I know I can tell from your face you're like, like... what uh, this is not what I expected
0: this is not what I was expecting do you know what I was expecting I was expecting one of those like motivational like happy talk podcasts. when you came out with it's been <laughs> great for my mental health and then you come out with my well, favorite murder
1: <laughs> yeah so it's really interesting because when my sister introduced me to it I was quite skeptical not gonna lie quite skeptical um but it, it's and again when i describe it i'm not going to do it justice but it is a true crime comedy podcast so which sounds very weird because they are talking about true crimes um which i am kind of i do like true crime and i like kind of that side of things um but they the two so the two ladies that um uh run it or or deliver it they um, they're really funny Uh, and they're very normal and I think that is the thing so they talk about their own mental health they talk about the fact that they go to therapy they talk about the encounters that they have in the supermarket and the and I mean, they're they are they're American, so obviously things kind of specifically relate to over there. They talk about politics, they talk about lots of different things, but it's quite a relatable thing. So they're talking about something, obviously true crime is, you know, horrific thing. It's a horrible thing that, that happens, um, but for some people, you know, some people find it quite intriguing as well to hear about this sort of side of life um So uh, you know, it's like watching a crime drama as well tr- on TV or something like that. um But the way that I guess the way that they deliver it is what what it is. Is the way that they deliver it is very human. So I I am all for podcasts. I think they're great because I think you can listen to them whilst you're kind of doing all manner of things. You know, you can be cleaning your house to doing work to everything and anything so i think they're really great um but uh, the other thing i think if i were to say the other thing for me is also reading i think there is that that reading is also a way like i said with dance it can be a form of escapism um and i think particularly for me at the moment at a time when everything majority of things i should say are very screen based so you're looking you're looking at a screen whether that's on zoom or your computer or your tv or what have you um, that actually to step away from that and look at a good old book
0: hopefully uh you've motivated some of our listeners to uh go off and find a book or a podcast that yeah. they uh, i mean i think i'm gonna have to listen to that podcast that you suggested because i think it <laughs> might be quite a funny one um, but now this is the motivational part of the podcast uh, so in cheerleading we have something called mat talk uh, so when we're on the floor and uh, we need to hit a particularly difficult stunt uh, the rest of the team it starts shouting motivational things at us but this is your chance Vicky to leave our listeners with a bit of motivation um, so I think it's kind of coming back to actually something that I
1: sort of mentioned earlier on when we were chatting it's It's really about remembering that connection and support is really key, particularly at this time. So I would, my big thing would be to say, don't stop reaching out to people. And I really value the friends and the family that I have around me who are there, even, even if it's kind of, it's a, a really negative message or something that I'm kind of sharing with them, it's like if I'm having a really difficult time, that, do you know what, I've not had anybody turn around and just be like, I don't want to hear that. So I think you mustn't ever underestimate the importance of connecting with other human beings. And and that can be in any way. It doesn't have to be in person. It can be in person, but any way it might be a voice note. It might be a Zoom call. It might be a phone call. You know, I've I've actually had with some people. I've been just like, can we just talk on the phone? Can we just can we just have a chat on the phone? And yeah, don't underestimate that. That is really community that kind of that whole beginning of community spirit and um i think it's i think it's really something that can help all of us through this really difficult and challenging time
0: on that note all that's left for me to say Mm -hmm. is uh thank you ricky uh for joining me today thank you you for giving up some of your very valuable time because i know you're doing (laughs) lots of projects um Mm -hmm. and thank you uh to everyone once again for listening uh i'll leave you with one final message and that is to stay safe and stay well, and we will meet again at the same time next week for one final time this season to champion another of life's cheerleaders. Thank you.